Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one. With your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life. Like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help. From fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another episode of Steelers Afternoon Drive. I'm Zachary Smith. Um, Depending on how you took my comments yesterday during the episode, I might have lied to you because Alan Saunders not back yet. Still got my man Nick Farabaugh here with me, also of SteelersNow.com. Nick, what's going on? Yeah, Zach, we're back again. Third straight episode. This is the longest streak I, mean, I have. Put uh, it in the bio, you know. You know, get a new uh, intro. We need one, man. We need one. Um, but, you know, this is the first time that I've been on three straight times. Alan will be back tomorrow. We have that confirmed, so I will not lie to you on that one. He will be back officially, so... It will be the Steelers afternoon drive with Zachary Smith and Alan Saunders. Uh, that wasn't bad. Yeah. Hey, I tried. <laughs> uh, but regardless, uh, it will be them back. But I'm here for one more day to torture your screens um, and talk about Mike Tomlin, 49ers, Steelers. It's it's getting to there. We we had the first, uh, first good afternoon of the season yes. today, didn't we? Tomlin Tuesday. Uh, before we get into that, people, subscribe, like, hit that notification bell. Hit us in the comments, of course. We will get to actually something I want to talk about. Came from the comments a couple days ago. Um, and also, if you're listening somewhere else, be sure to leave us a five-star review. Um, Tomlin Tuesday, like we mentioned first, one of the season here leading up to 49ers week. Um, what's funny is a lot of the stuff that we talked about yesterday was also brought up today. And so I think we can just kind of have a lot of this can be a continuation. I wanted to mention one thing that popped in my mind, though, as it regards to Nick Bosa. And a lot of people are like, can we please stop talking about Nick Bosa? The answer, no. Once he signs or the game kicks off, that's when I'll start talking about Nick Bosa. Um, 
But I wanted to bring up something that popped in my mind. Demito Ryan's was their defensive coordinator uh, during Nick Bosa's tenure there, obviously. And now he is the head coach of the Houston Texans. This will be Nick Bosa's first season in Steve Wilkes defense, who came over as the new defensive coordinator. Now up front, they're actually like schematically a lot of similarities between the way that those two run their defenses. The defenses differentiate really on the back end and the blitz rates that the two deploy. That's where a lot of those differences are. But I still think there's something to be said about the fact that Nick Bosa has not taken a single rep with the 49ers in Steve Wilkes' defense. So we've had some conversation about this. Like, yeah, it's Nick Bosa. Yeah, he just he's just one defensive player of the year. Obviously, one of the elite edge rushers and elite defensive players in general in football. But does it really does it weigh on you at all? Does it change the way that you think he's going to immediately step in and play within that defense? The fact that, like I said, he has not taken a single rep within that. Uh, not particularly. Um, okay. I'm sure that there are nuances to it, but if you're any, if you're a smart defensive coordinator, and Steve Wilkes has been around a very long time in the league, and he is a smart defensive coordinator, you know what you do with Nick Bosa in Week One, and if he doesn't really know the scheme all that well, you know what you just tell him: put your hand in the dirt and rush the passer. That's all you have to do. Just tell him to do what he does best. Like just limit it. Get someone to feed him whatever assignment he has. If it's a, a stunt or whatever, just let him be Nick Bosa. Like, that is something that any good coach would do. It, it doesn't matter. He's an elite talent. He's certainly going to play if he signs this contract. Don't make it overcomplicated. Now, I think the 49ers are one of those teams that kind of has this, like, rigid scheme, which – I would say certainly is on the offensive side of the ball. Like for Kyle Shanahan with his quarterbacks, you better read this and throw it on this beat or you're wrong, right? Like that's something that Trey Lance really struggled to get down. And that's why Kyle Shanahan kind of soured on him over time, just because Lance wanted to do some other things. But defensively, it's kind of the same way. They kind of have these different assignments. But for me, I would adjust that and just say, go rush the passer. Just, just pin your ears back, go rush the passer, you know, hold that edge. Don't, you don't need to do anything, you know, crazy. If you tell him to hold the edge, he can hold the edge. If you tell him just to be, you know, to be the looper on a stunt, well, just tell him to do that. I think he can do that. I don't think you need to make it anything exotic here. I, I think you just need to let Nick Bosa play like Nick Bosa. I think that's your simple thing. I will always tell everybody this. The Jimmys and Joes matter more than the X's and O's they do in the game of football and wow. people will uh the people will people you know act like scheme is like this overarching hugely important thing and yeah sure it's part of the game and it's certainly part of an importance of the game but it's not more important than matchups matchups are what the nfl specifically thrives upon and that's what you need to let go and, and great players should be able to be who they are and be great players. So just let Nick Bosa, let Nick Bosa cook if he plays. That's what I would say. Can we get that on a shirt? Jimmy's and Joe's matter more than X's and O's. Can we maybe, play? maybe we can, you know, is it, did yeah. you come up with that? Is that, is that your thing? Or is that, from I think else? I've heard it before. Um, okay. All I remember, right. I, I remember, um, I believe a coach said it at some point. Okay. Um, I want to say it was Nick Saban that said it, which tracks. Um, uh, yeah, because he's Nick Saban. Um, but I could be wrong on that, but I believe, I believe it was Nick Saban that said it at some point, you know, in one of those coaching seminars things. 
I'm not sure if he's a Jimmy or a Joe, but we also heard from Mike Tomlin regarding a little bit of Brock Purdy, but not so much Brock Purdy that they're preparing for, but Kyle Shanahan, his offense, his scheme, um, widely regarded as one of the better offensive minds in football. What was your takeaway from Tomlin's comments on him? Yeah, 49ers are kind of one of those rare teams where I actually am like taking that scheme into a very large factor because Kyle Shanahan's scheme is what the offense runs on. Kyle Shanahan is a factor. And kind of what he said was they are not preparing for Brock Purdy as much as they're preparing for just Kyle Shanahan and what he kind of does with his quarterbacks. So if you're going to run specific plays like, okay, you got to hit this backside dig on this beat or this is your second read and this kind of progression, like it's the same across all of those quarterbacks, you know, whether that's all the way back to Matt Ryan when he was in Atlanta, whether you go, you know, even to Johnny Manziel when it was in Cleveland, like, and then with the 49ers, obviously, you know, Jimmy G, Trey Lance, um, whoever they have had kind of at quarterback, Brock Purdy, it has been the same thing. It's a quarterback friendly offense, but it's also very rigid and structured. So the scheme itself matters a lot because of how they kind of, add some window dressing, you know, you got to keep your eyes disciplined. They attack the middle of the field. I think that's the biggest thing. And I, I think that's kind of what they're planning for here is, okay, how do we kind of kind of rover that middle of the field and make Brock Purdy kind of matter, right? Make the quarterback matter more than the scheme, because you know, Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle are going to be all over that middle of the field. There's going to be a lot of quick game screen stuff to Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Like all of that stuff's going to happen. And it's just more about the schematics than it is. Oh, Brock Purdy can do this, 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 and this, because you looked at the tape last year, what Brock Purdy did, he played well, but it wasn't anything dramatically, you know, stunning uh, compared to what Jimmy Garoppolo did there for however long he was there. Like it, it wasn't, anything crazy and so that was kind of the interesting thought i had about the entirety of this scheme and in this matchup it's a great scheme but the matchups matter more than say okay brock purdy is a guy that can make this alien throughout a structure he can't he doesn't really do that and he's more of a guy that's just just going to be okay one two boom you know the, that like a quarterback in the shanahan scheme is kind of like a robot where they just kind of have to go through it and do how he says. It's kind of how it is, but it's a very, very friendly offense. It's not a, it's not a very turnover-prone offense. Like Shanahan has a great skill of manipulating open the middle of the field, which is traditionally the most dangerous area to throw to, but having very low turnovers, which means you get a lot of explosive plays as a result. Yeah. Absolutely. Explosive plays have come in bunches for that offense. Um, yeah, I definitely thought that was interesting. We do have something I want to get to in the questions, actually. So I'll save it for then regarding Christian McCaffrey and the other players in that offense. But I'll save that for a little bit. We talked a little bit about Desmond King yesterday. Tomlin mentioned right now, not necessarily a role for him just yet. I mean, dude just got here. We heard him talk to the media for the first time yesterday. We fully expect that he's going to have a role what do you think that role is going to be? Is it strictly as, of course, once he gets acclimated? Is it in the inside, in the slot? Is it playing some on the boundary? Is he going to do a little bit of both of those things? Like, what do you see his role actually being once he is acclimated? Yeah, I think his role should be run down slot. I think he has the ability to be that passing down slot as well. He could be your three down slot, but 
the dude is a phenomenal blitzer and is awesome, awesome at run defense. Like that is the one thing that sticks out to me. For a slot cornerback, those are elite traits that he has. I'm not sure his blitzing is quite Mike Hiltonish, but it is like very close. It is well, if you just watched Houston, they really weren't doing it with him for whatever oh. reason the last couple of seasons. So, <laughs> I mean, they did it the year before. Um, but Lovey. Oh yeah, it was just yeah last year with Lovey. Uh, yeah. Last year was really um, where they didn't and. He had a good year. He's, he's a good zone corner. He can cover well. Um, his coverage grades on PFF are good if, if that's what you like. Um, but his blitzing and run defense are just awesome. Like I think that's where he fits in here. Um, and maybe he becomes the full down slot corner where he goes three downs. He has that coverage ability. Like He's not a liability. You can definitely put him in man or zone and let him go wherever. So, I mean, by the end of the year, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he's like the three down slot, but – I think he's going to be the running down slot. I think he'll be the starting slot there. I still think they're pretty um, pretty committed to this uh, Patrick Peterson passing down slots thing. So I had a question yesterday where someone asked, like, why can't he be the three-down slot? And I was like, I think because Patrick Peterson's going to be three-down slot. Like, I, I just – that's just my, like, feeling for it. I imagine they will obviously see how he forms, and maybe if it's not going well – Desmond King then steps in and becomes the full-time slot. But I think they want to get Joey Porter Jr. on the field, one, which requires someone to go in the slot or someone to come off. So Patrick Pearson would go into the slot. So uh, I think that's kind of where he is in terms of nickel. I think in in dime he can come on the field too. Um, I'm sure they're going to play the usual six they have right now in dime, um, which is is kind of what you would expect. Um, You know, you have – Pat Pete and Dimebacker right now. Um, you have Minka obviously being kind of the whatever you do um, slash Dimebacker kind of nickelback guy. Um, Levi and Joey Poor Jr. And then you pro. I mean, right now they have all three safeties on the field, so um, that's kind of something to watch. But wouldn't surprise me if like Desmond King like kicks Keanu Neal off the field in some aspects of that. So I'm, I'm sure he's. I think he'll have a sub package role in some man. Uh, also, Tomlin saying, and this is really for the first time, you know, since the preseason wrapped up, that we've gotten some type of like injury update here with Nate Herbig, with Larry Ogden Joby, with James Daniels, who surprisingly missed that preseason finale. Sounds like those guys are going to be good to go, which is obviously great. I mean, other than obviously Corey Trice having the season ending injury, to come into the regular season where they are as a roster with a lack of injuries, I, I think you got to be very happy about that. I think they should be elated about it. Um, because it looks like these guys are going to go in pretty much fully healthy. I don't think we're going to have any health-related inaccuracies. I think that is obviously a big win. And when you look at the 49ers on the other side, when they're dealing with guys like George Kittle hurt, you know, Elijah Mitchell is, is just starting to get back. Dre Greenlaw is banged up. Uh, Talanoa Hufanga is, is dealing with some injury in his knee. Probably, I mean, a lot of those guys are probably going to play, but, like, they're seriously mm-hmm. banged up. The Steelers – are basically not banged up at all. I think most of those injuries, Okunjobis, Herbigs, Haywards, Daniels, are pretty much kind of fully healed. So I, I feel like those guys are, are ready to go. And the Steelers run into this pretty healthy. I think they've done a nice job over the past few years where I feel like Tomlin's training camps acclimate them enough to the season to where they don't go into the season like super banged up. It doesn't feel like that happens very often for them where they go into week one and there's like this albatross of an injury. Um, last year, that that 
was a little bit more kind of perilous because TJ Watt had suffered that knee injury in the Lions game, and then Deontay Johnson was dealing with a shoulder. But uh, this year, it looks like they're squeaky clean. I don't expect anyone to miss the game. Which, you know, when you look at the way that the Steelers practice, too, as physical as those practices are, it's crazy that they've really found that blend to be able to have, and this is tying in another conversation too, but to have those practices be as physical as they are really not going over the line where there's like a bunch of fights happening, zero fights at camp this year, but then to also come out of it with a lack of injuries that they have, like I said, right now, really just a season ending one to Corey Trice to talk about um, in terms of guys that are going to miss any time. So I, I don't know how they do it, but they've really found a nice balance there. Yeah, I don't know how they've done either. Now, a lot of the guys, you know, get bumps and bruises and sure, kind of yeah. deal with it along the way. But they've they've had pretty good injury luck in terms of that. Even uh, in, in past camps, um, usually just not a lot of injuries. Now, last year they had a few – I think last year they had a few more scares. Like Najee Harris had that Liz Frank injury at training camp. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like this year they did a nice job of being pretty cognizant of their starters in camp like Najee didn't get much many reps right um Deontay Johnson didn't get as many reps uh Cam Hayward and TJ Watt they didn't need as many reps they didn't get as many reps same thing with Minka like so all those guys just didn't get like a ton of reps and they managed them well and so I think that is kind of where they've struck this balance this year they definitely have had more injury luck because last year I'm even I'm just starting to think through the well of guys they had hurt, you know, between Najee, TJ, Deontay, KZ broke his arm. Like they had a lot of um, injuries last year where there were significant guys, Calvin Austin, like that were banged up. But this year they've kind of found a nice balance. I think part of it has been the the load management that Mike Tomlin has started to kind of put on some of those key players so they can come to the season a little fresher. Yeah, absolutely. And I want the last thing I want to touch on, and this is going to be tying in, like I said, a YouTube comment that we got a couple days ago that I wanted to bring up is Tomlin made a point. Um, and I don't know, was he, was he asked a question about the tackle situation? That's why he yeah, talked yeah. about it. He was it. asked about okay. what Dan Moore showed. Um, to okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, he talked about the tackle situation, said it wasn't necessarily anything that Broderick showed in a negative light. Dan Moore was just that good to be able to retain that job. Um, and he took a step, a significant step this year as well. And I think, you know, listening to people like you that are around the team every single day, that goes to show like very clearly Dan Moore had his best training camp. He just looks different. Um, he looks like he really took things seriously to be able to hold on to that job. But somebody asked us in the YouTube comments as well. Why, if he beat up Roger Jones for left ta- the left tackle spot this year, we assume that, okay, say that Dan Moore is going to be a starter beyond 23, it would be at the right tackle spot and that, not the left tackle spot, with it being Broderick that becomes the left tackle and not looking at Broderick maybe switching to the right tackle spot. It's just we haven't seen Broderick play at right tackle literally his entire NFL career yet. Like He has not logged one snap at right tackle in practice or anything. So he never played there in college either. Like I don't, he's not a right tackle like at all, basically. So I think the fact that we've seen Dan Moore do that, Dan Moore's played that in practice games, whatever he's been on that. He's the swing tackle, right? So if you're a swing tackle, theoretically you should be a pretty, pretty evenly able to go right to left. So I think that's why. Plus I just think, the young player that is Broderick Jones, the fact that he is such a young player on a developmental path to fixing his hand usage, his footwork, all of that 
if Dan Moore ends up playing well and say, you know, they cut bait with Shooks core for and, and he slides over to right tackle. I just feel like you would be ruining Broderick Jones's developmental curve. It's the Kendrick green situation. You went from center to guard back to center. Like you, they got to stick at one spot if they can't handle, you know, going elsewhere. And for Broderick Jones, he's, he came out so raw technically let, let, let him get down on left tackle first before we talk about him moving over to right tackle. I, I think that's something that you have to take into consideration. You do not want to screw up his ability to develop. And the Steelers are usually pretty good about keeping guys in a static spot in order for them to develop. And then that's when they start to, to move around. Right. You know, um, Minka Fitzpatrick, when he first came was strictly a free safety, strictly played single high. Like he didn't really do all that much until he kind of showed, okay, I'm going to lead free safety. Let's go. Um, so these versatile guys that come in, yes, they're versatile, but they gotta, they gotta show you they're good at one thing first. They have to have a fastball, as I would say, right? They gotta have a master of something. A jack of trades, master of none. We have, I think, found out pretty quickly in the NFL. Those guys flame out far quicker than you would expect. Um, it's just this, you know, the Swiss Army knife idea is is awesome when you think about it, but then it doesn't end up really sticking the same thing at, at offensive line spencer anderson played all five spots because he showed he could the first thing he mastered this entire season was was guard that was the first thing they put him at he played well at guard so they said okay we'll do right tackle and they built it from there um and he also had bricklaying experience connor hayward for example he's doing all these different things now but his whole first year he was a tight end and he was really good at tight end so mm-hmm. maybe maybe if they feel broderick by the end of the year is a really good left tackle or or they feel like he is good enough there to start working it right maybe they start experimenting with it i just wouldn't do it because he is a raw guy that's already reworking his technique his hand usage and then when you flip to the right side your outside hand becomes your inside hand your kick step foot is the opposite like it's completely different so i just wouldn't i wouldn't want to mess with it when you're reworking his mechanics at a base level even as natural position yeah, I, I think that was an awesome breakdown of, of exactly wh- why that switch isn't as simple as just saying, okay, you're going from the left side to the right side. Do you think they're equally as tough to switch or would you like weigh one more than the other in terms of the handwork switch or the footwork switch? I'd say the footwork is tough um, just okay. because a kick slide specifically is your whole lower chain. So you are quite literally – flipping the entire kinetic chain if you you know do your outside hand to inside hand it it takes a little bit but it's a little easier because you're basically doing the same thing either way right you're just kind of inserting it in the different spots so neither of them are like easy but the kick mm-hmm. step itself when you have footwork issues you can easily fall back on muscle memory from the other side in terms of bad habits on that side so footwork is really tough, especially when you're going through all these different sets you can go through. So I would say the footwork, but man, for Broderick, he's got both. So yeah, he needs to he needs to get the technical base down. He's starting to grow right now. I just I, I wouldn't shake shake that tree. No, and I and I agree. And I, the first thing I always bring up in terms of that is the footwork. So I was curious as to your thoughts on it too, because not to say that I've never thought about the hand switch as well but the footwork is always what comes to mind first. Um, 
let's get into some questions now from Twitter. Derek, I said that not all of them were serious. Derek had to uh, comment here. He wants to know who we think would win a three-point contest if hypothetically one took place with Pittsburgh media and content creators being involved. Hmm. All right. Okay. Let me throw let me throw this out there. I've seen the garbage that's going on in those 93-7 games or whatever. You know, we got Kale Berger wearing his headband and those mango shorts, whatever he's rocking. <laughs> I'm laying out the challenge right now that there's not a single person in the media content world that can beat me in a three-point contest. Got basketball courts wow. right behind my house here. Let's run it. Wow. Okay. Okay, Kale. <laughs> Kale should have that on notice. Um, you need to send this out to Kale because that is a declarative statement. Um, I'm not just Kale. talking about him, though. Uh, anybody. Anybody that wants to okay. smoke. Anybody. Derek, I think Derek asked this question because he wanted me to say Derek. It ain't mm. happening. Derek could could do it. <laughs> um, you know, Derek channeling the Duke greats. Um, I I, I think Batco deserves a, a mention here. Brian Batco, the Post Gazette. Really? Um, okay. I think he deserves a mention there. Um, Stephen Thompson, I think of uh, SI, has okay. has some has some baller instincts there. Um. You know, I, I'm trying to think of guys that I feel like are great three-point shooters. Um, you know, I, I think I could I could take Alan Saunders in a three-point shooting contest. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, you know, we should there do a, a Steelers now one, but I I don't know from a from a distance, Smitty. My my instant guess would be Kale, but I just know Kale more as a as a slasher than a three-point shooter. Yeah. Well, all I'm saying is I was the rep representative for my class in high school to do the three point contest Ooh. when we did winter Olympics and stuff like that. So I, I'm pulling out the credentials at this point because okay, so anybody that wants to smoke, you can come get it. Okay. Including Derek who asked this question. All right. Um, another joke one <laughs> drew wants to know if, I don't know if he's been to tequila cowboy when there's been a bouncer that looks like you, but he said, is Nick a bouncer at tequila cowboy? There must be a, somebody that bounces it, it looks like you, but you're not bouncing there in, in your free time, are you? I'm not. I am not. That is someone different. That is my uh, doppelganger. Would have seen. Is it Isaac Samalo? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac say it's Isaac Samalo. Yeah. Uh, backstory on that training camp. Uh, people thought it was Isaac Samalo's brother, um, but I, I I am not a bouncer at Tequila Cowboy. Um, otherwise, you know, I would be for the better. I would say. For, you know, yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, it's I'm, I'm it's for the better that I work about a uh, hundred yards down to the the street there um, at Acrisure rather than at Tequila Cowboy. Um, but you know, I, me, me and that bouncer have to meet up at some point. Um, I'm gonna I'll I'll I'll, I'll break Drew Drew's mind um, when that happens. Yeah. Uh, I'll save this one for last actually because it's a predictive thing. Um, so this is actually a really good question though. This one is it better to game plan heavily for Christian McCaffrey as the engine, if you will, or to plan for everybody else and kind of let McCaffrey have his because you know he's going to get it rather than being burnt by Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, etc., and the rest of that offense? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because you know the Steelers are a team that probably can be exposed most in the middle of the field. And the reason is the inside linebackers 
as well as they've played, most of their strong reps have come downhill and run defense. And so mm-hmm. the coverage of them is still a little unproven. Now, Quan Alexander is a really good coverage linebacker. So I think he could really fly in there. I wonder if they play Keanu Neal a little bit more t- in this one to try and take on those guys. Um, I think McCaffrey is such a difference maker for how teams plan him because of his ability to act as one, a running back who can get downhill, be physical and get explosive plays on the wide zone runs while also being essentially a wide receiver level. He's very Lev Bell ish in that way, right? Where teams had to plan for Le'Veon Bell as a wide receiver and running back because he was such a good receiver. That's Christian McCaffrey and Kyle Shanahan dices up opposing teams linebackers puts them in one-on-one in space you know on texas routes up the seam uh, just just nasty stuff that he kind of cooks up for christian mccaffrey and and so Mm -hmm. i think that mccaffrey is a guy that you can easily get sucked into over planning for is what i would say you know it bracket him in coverage give your linebacker help in the middle rob that middle of the field a little bit more you know, do do kind of these different things because while McCaffrey can be that explosive play guy too, what you saw is teams down the stretch last year plant so heavily for Christian McCaffrey and his influence that he was bringing that you were going to have guys like Brandon Ayuk, who just is an explosive play yak guy, just go wide open. You had Debo Samuel starting to turn into who he is, and you had George Kittle running wide open down on corner routes and making big plays. So I think there's an argument to be made that maybe obviously you have to game plan for McCaffrey in some manner, but I I think there is an argument to be made that maybe you don't fully go in on the Christian McCaffrey stuff. And what I mean by that is maybe you let McCaffrey hurt you a little bit, right? Because this is such a good offense skill wise. Like they have four Mm -hmm. legitimately great skill weapons and then Jawan Jennings in the slots a really good like physical slot yep. chain guy. So like they really have five great guys there. And so it's a tough group to kind of hone in upon, but I feel like if you let McCaffrey have a little bit of give while you force Brock Purdy to do more to get the ball to Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, I think you can make them a little bit more one-dimensional. And then you can kind of let your guys on the defensive line kind of eat and run defense. So I think there's an argument to be made that maybe the Steelers should let McCaffrey kind of do a little bit more than, you know, maybe you wouldn't like on the stat sheet. The stat sheet might not be pretty after the game for him, but do you want them to score 30? Do you want them to score 20? I think that could be a difference there, um, you know, because he is a guy that legitimately, when he came over, I think Mike Tomlin even said this. They scored 20 points per game without him. Once McCaffrey came over, they started scoring 30 points per game. And that's the, the influence McCaffrey has. But I think part of that also was the fact that teams saw, teams saw McCaffrey and said, oh, my goodness, running backs in this system, middle of the field, great runner. We got to stop this guy. And they sold all out to stop him. And then Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle started really dicing him up. And so I think there's a there's a, there's credence to that argument. I think there's credence to the argument that maybe you should should let McCaffrey go a little bit more than maybe I, I would I would heavily focus on stopping Debo and I like I would not let those guys get quick screens and get that yak. Like these quarterbacks mm-hmm. need to go out there, work the screen game and tackle. They need to be able to do that. 
if you can, because TJ Watt is going to get taken out of the game. If Brock Purdy can step back and hit quick screens, to Debo to, to Ayuk can hit, you know, those quick screens to, to McCaffrey in space or whatever. That's how you take TJ Watt out of the game. And you love the matchup of TJ Watt versus Colt McKibbitts, right? Because that's a guy that is an inexperienced right tackle getting the keys to the kingdom finally. Well, you want your pass rush to be a massive factor in this game. You feel like you have an advantage over the 49ers offensive line, to be quite honest with you, with their pass rush. So I want Brock Perry to feel uncomfortable. And I think part of that is kind of going to be limiting those easy yak opportunities. So I don't know. We'll see. I, you have to game plan for all those guys in specific ways. But there might be an argument there to to maybe not go as heavily in on McCaffrey as you would think. Yeah, and I'm also curious as to what Elijah Mitchell's role is going to be. Yeah. I mean, wasn't heavily involved last year, but he was coming off an injury. I mean, year prior, 1,000-yard, eight-touchdown UDFA running back in that system. So, you know, he's going to have a role, you would think, especially with how much San Fran has talked about. We get the best Christian McCaffrey when we limit his touches to more as 20 as opposed to 30. Like, they basically come out and said that. They want to keep him fresh. Uh, less is more with him. You're getting like the quality of touch as opposed to the quantity of touch. So it will be interesting to see how the Steelers really, uh, you know, handle that and what their game plan is. But uh, Gavin with the final one here wants to know if we have a score prediction for week one. If you're confident, also throw in any statistical predictions as well. It's funny you mentioned the Purdy thing with the quick passes and TJ maybe not being able to get home. And I, I agree with you. And that's why I think at some point in this game, TJ is going to Joe Burrow, Brock Purdy, and get an interception leaping up, realizing he's not getting home, timing it up, and getting an interception like he did on Joe Burrow twice last year. Hmm. Okay. Um, that's so that's a, the first thing I'll throw out there. My prediction is that – I have a few predictions I'll throw out here. I'll throw out a few. Um, one, I think Minka Fitzpatrick is going to get a pick in this one. I just – young quarterback – I get it's a quarterback-friendly offense, but when you test the middle of the field as much as this 49ers team does, you're going to have to know where 39 is at all times. And I think it, at some point, I think he's going to nap. Um, I, I truly believe that. I also will say this on the opposite end of that spectrum. I think the Steelers' O-line is going to get their butt kicked. I mm. really do. Especially if Bosa yeah. plays. I think we're going to come – down back to reality a little bit on what this offense really is, which isn't that it's a bad offense. It's that it might not be an elite offense that you saw in the preseason. I think they're Mm -hmm. going to be able to score some points in this one. You'll see when my score prediction drops in about a minute. Um, But I think that, that the O-line is going to get battered up a little bit. Um, It's just too good. It's the best pass rush in the NFL potentially there um, that they're facing. So I think they're. I think we're going to see them come back to earth a little bit, little bit, and, and it's going to be rough a little bit. But I think that's the thing. And then my third other prediction is that he scores not one but two touchdowns. Deontay Johnson scores two touchdowns in this one, not scoring a single one. Ooh, last time. I like. I like that. I like that, that, is, that a lot. I think. I think Deontay is due for a big game because I think they're going to put Shavarius Ward on George Pickens, as we talked about yesterday, and I. I love the matchup of Deontay Johnson against Ambry Thomas. That is like asking Deontay to cook in that mm-hmm. one. And, and that's a guy, even if the offensive line's getting beat, that you can work a quick quick route tree up, right? So 
I think that's something else. My final score prediction, I don't know. I, I do think the Steelers have a good shot in this one. I just think that they come out really well in these week one games. Um, they match up like decently well against the 49ers too. I mean, it's a really good test for them, but the 49ers do start slow very often under Kyle Shanahan too. Lost to the Bears last year um, in week mm-hmm. one. So, you know, Bosa, I don't know if he'll play, but if he does, is he going to be, you know, full on Bosa? Is he going to have a TJ Watt like performance like Buffalo, you know, that Buffalo game? Or is he going to be a little bit, you know, okay, maybe not fully there? Um, I think it, you have questions on both sides, and I can I can see the argument for either team. I think people are right, rightly um, picking the 49ers to win this one more so uh, because I just think they're more talented. But I think there's a concoction here where the Steelers could win. And I think, you know, 27-23, 27-24, 24-21, like I think that's around right. Um, somewhere around there. I think the Steelers will score in this one. I think they will be able to, but I, I don't think it's going to be easy, man. This is going to be a tough game. It's It's one of the hardest games on their schedule. Right out of the gate, to be quite honest with you. I got um, – I'll just say this. I got 24-20. Steelers win this one. I think Connor Hayward catches a touchdown. I already mentioned the TJ Watt pick. Um, I think the one guy that's going to have a relatively quiet week one for the Steelers on offense is going to be Pat Fryermuth. I don't think it's going to be that way the entire season. I think week one's a little quiet for him. Don't panic. I can agree with you about the offensive line uh, having some trouble with San Fran. I think equally on the other side, though, San Fran's offensive line is going to have trouble with the Steelers front. Um, The question is, again, is Brock going to be getting the ball out quicker, which I think is why he ends up throwing a pick to TJ. Uh, I think the ingredients are there because of everything that you've talked about. I'll also add in, as we've talked about before, but, you know, running down there again, I want to mention not knowing what's going on with George Kittle. He's obviously not going to be 100 percent. Brock Purdy still coming back from the elbow stuff. They've still been limiting his reps even in practice. Um, so I, I think it's that the recipe for a Steelers win in week one. The Steelers always, not always, but the last few years, the way that they manage their reps through training camp in the preseason, they've beaten teams that have ended up being better than them at the end of the season in week one because of that. Buffalo, Cincinnati, the last couple of years, I just think the Steelers come into seasons more prepared than most other teams. So I got them 24-20. I agree with that. They really do come in ready to kind of gun. Um, it, it's a – it's going to be a really, really tough game um, to kind of pick. I don't know. It's, it's going to be close, I think. Everybody and in the ice baths. It, I'll, I'll throw out one more prediction. You talk about the D-line. You know mm-hmm. who's going to be the star of this game on the D-line? It's not going to be TJ Watt. Is it, gonna, is it somebody really outlandish or is it no, like Cam? No, no, no. It's, it's the okay. obvious other guy. It's going to be Cam. I think Cam's okay. going to have a yeah. huge game. I was, I was like, are we getting the Keanu Benton week one masterclass? No, I just think Cam <laughs> Aaron Banks is a mismatch, man. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Like if, if TJ is, you know, taking the slide to his side because, you know, they have – like here's the thing, right? You're going to put Trent Williams one-on-one with Alex Highsmith, and mm-hmm. you're going to keep George Kittle or Charlie Warner or Ross Dwelly or whoever you keep on that right side with McKivitz to help him out against TJ Watt. Well, yeah. who's going to be there to help Aaron Banks? Um you know, like, and like, I think that's a big thing to kind of watch. Aaron Banks is a solid run blocker, but dude, his pass pro has some real ups and downs. He has some great reps, but he has some reps where the guy just gets absolutely like 
crushed by power. It is a really interesting matchup, and I think Cam Hayward has the potential to have a really big game in this one as a result. I like that. All right, Nick. Well, <clears throat> like you mentioned, we will for sure have Allen back tomorrow. So, you know, who knows when we'll see you next. I'm sure in the very near future, but tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at FairBallFB. Uh, make sure to check out more SealersNow.com, of course, and make sure to read uh, all our stories that we have today because we have a, a lot, obviously, with Tom and Presser. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, subscribe to the channel. Leave a like, hit that notification bell. Uh, leave us a comment to read on tomorrow's show, whatever your thoughts may be about any of the topics we discussed today, anything that you want to see us talk about. Leave us a five-star review if you were listening somewhere else. That is not YouTube. I'm Zachary Smith, PGH for Nick Faribault. For me, we're out of here. We'll be back tomorrow with Alan Saunders. Thanks for jumping in and taking another ride on the Steelers Afternoon Drive. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.